0: This message is presented to you by Pastor James Moore and New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. For more information or to donate, please visit newlifekc.com. He is risen! He is risen indeed. Amen. Last Sunday we celebrated the resurrection of Christ. But why? Why did we celebrate? I think it's good for us to remember that the joy of the resurrection is not simply that Jesus came back to life to live on the earth some more, hang out with his disciples. It's way more than that, isn't it? The reason we rejoice is because the resurrection proved that the grave can be defeated, that the curse of death has been broken. And eternal life in heaven is now available to anyone, anyone who will place their faith and their hope in Jesus Christ alone. And then prove it by following him for the rest of his or her life. Amen? And I, for one, am trusting Jesus Christ alone for my salvation and my eternal life. I am... A Jesus follower. Are you? John, are you a Jesus follower? Well, say it, man. I I am a Jesus follower. Okay. Jeff, are you a Jesus follower? I want to hear it. I am a Jesus follower. Okay. Annette, are you a Jesus follower? I am a Jesus follower. All right. Everybody in the room... If you are a Jesus follower, let's all declare that together, okay? I am a Jesus follower. Yeah. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, today can be a new beginning for you. May it be so. Have you ever seen a show on television? I I used to watch this all the time and they changed it to a different station or something. I don't think I get it anymore. It was called Inside the Actors Studio. James Lipton was the the host of that. It's been around for over 20 years. I think it's had something like 300 and some guest celebrities who get on there and they talk about their craft of acting or whatever their deal is. But even more interesting to me is that they get to share their personal life philosophies. And at the end of every program, the interviewer asks his guests a series of questions. And here are the questions that they ask. What is your favorite word? What is your least favorite word? And these celebrities would answer. What turns you on? What turns you off? What sound or noise do you love? What sound or noise do you hate? What's your favorite curse word? What profession other than Your own, would you like to attempt? What profession would you not like to do? Anyway, these questions are great for getting some real insight into a person's thinking, into their character. Uh, You can use them at parties. You can use them at small group Bible studies. You can even use them as a way way to break the ice in personal evangelism. But in my opinion, the the question that is saved for last is always the best one. And that's number 10. They would always ask, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Where is it? Is it number 11? Something happened here. Anyway, that's the question. <laughs> What, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? As you might imagine, I mean the question, the answers run the entire gamut. And here are a few that have stuck with me over the years. What would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Ben Affleck said he'd like to hear, your friends are in the back. They're expecting you. Ellen Barkin wants to hear God say, Come on in, have a drink, sit down, smoke a cigarette. What Angelina Jolie hopes to hear is, you are allowed in. Johnny Depp responded simply, wow. (laughs) Richard Dreyfuss said he'd like to hear, come in. It's not near as boring as you might have thought. Anthony Hopkins, what were you doing down there? what he wanted to hear. Will Smith wanted to hear, good work, dog. Robert Redford hopes to hear, hey, you're too early. Tom Cruise, come on in. You did a good job. Susan Sarandon says what she (laughs) will say to God (laughs) is, let's party. Robert De Niro, for his part, he says, if heaven exists, God has a lot of explaining to do. I think that's my favorite. Really? God needs to explain to Robert De Niro? James Lipton, the interviewer, he says what he'd like to say, or he'd like God to say to him is, see, Jim, you were wrong. Anyway, it's really quite interesting to realize that our culture, which is supposedly so fixated on getting ahead and worried about the here and now, seems to be also fascinated with heaven and the afterlife. According to one public survey of the, by the Gallup organization, 81% of Americans believe in heaven, while only 69% believe in hell. According to LifeWay Research, 33% of Americans who never attend worship services wonder, from time to time, whether they will go to heaven. 49 excuse me, 43% of boarding-in believers, these are evangelical Protestants, they ask themselves that question, while 66% of liberal or mainline Protestants ask the question. Amazingly, 64% of young people aged 18 to 29 wonder whether they will get to heaven. If you type into Google, do you believe you're going to heaven or hell, Man, you'll get a variety of quizzes and, and uh, answers from, ex- from experts, all instant experts. WikiAnswers.com, QuizRocket.com, you know, Answers.Yahoo.com, many more. They will tell you. They'll, they'll, they'll try to help you find the answer for yourself. And let's face it, if the web tells you where you'll end up in the afterlife, it must be true. And there are so many movies, movies about heaven. Uh, One favorite is It's a Wonderful Life, the old 1946 classic starring Jimmy Stewart as George Bailey, a good but tortured man who attempts to kill himself because his life seemingly has fallen apart. And on the night of George's suicide attempt, heaven sends him Clarence Oddbody, a man who has died and is trying to earn his wings as a bumbling angel. It's a great story, although the theology is definitely odd. Then there's Ghost. Remember that 1990 film with Patrick Swayze, Demi Moore? Swayze's character he's murdered, but he loves Demi Moore so much that he comes back to Earth as, you guessed it, a ghost. And there were two movies called Heaven Can Wait, one from 1947, another one from 1978, and by the way, heaven's also a major theme, in case you didn't realize it, in American business. If you go to American, Amazon.com, type in the word heaven, you'll be confronted with more than 200,000 options, raising from, you know, from books to music to other things you can purchase about the subject of heaven. I'm, I'm talking about heaven-themed, you know, T-shirts and wristbands and gambling opportunities Food, all kinds of. Lots of people are trying to earn some treasure on Earth by selling something pointed to our hope for treasures in heaven. And then there are the books. All oh, the books, man. The afterlife's definitely of reading interest. But the subject got a huge boost when with these books written by doctors reporting on the so-called near-death experiences near-death experience. They call them NDEs, the NDEs of their patients. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, she wrote this groundbreaking book called On Death and Dying, which describes the five stages of grief. However, she's just as well known for her book on life after death, which summarizes her study of 20,000 NDEs, Near-Death Experiences, the work had a profound effect on this woman, and she died in 2004, and at one point she said, I've told my children what to do when I die, to release balloons in the sky to celebrate that I graduated. For me, death is a graduation. And there's a whole train of books that followed hers. I mean, Dr. Raymond Moody, he released a book called Life After Life which describes his investigation of 100 people, 100 people who'd been pronounced clinically dead. Now, we've all heard stories of people who died in their hospital rooms, had a sensation of floating above their bodies, over the hospital bed. They could see everything that went on around them. You've seen that, right? Eventually, they went through a dark tunnel and emerged into, you know, some some calming being of light where they spoke with them and They were eventually sent back. The details, by the way, are remarkably similar in these cases. I mean, some of today's best-selling books are written by people purporting to tell us about their experience of dying and going to heaven. One is 90 Minutes in Heaven by Don Piper. He died in a car crash. He says, in my moment of awareness, I was standing in heaven. Joy pulsated through me as I looked around. And at that moment, I became aware of a large crowd of people. They stood in front of a brilliant, ornate gate. I have no idea how far away they were. Such things as distance just didn't matter. And as the crowd rushed towards me, I didn't see Jesus, but I did see people I had known. And as they surged around me, I knew instantly that all of them had died during my lifetime, and their presence seemed absolutely natural. Then there's Todd Burpo's Heaven is for Real. You know, that's a real popular book. It tells the story of this three-year-old Colton Burpo, who barely survived an emergency appendectomy. And months later, while riding with his parents in the car past the same hospital in North Platte, Nebraska, Colton nonchalantly told his mother, that's where the angels sang to me. And soon his parents, as well as a large chunk of the American reading public, heard this child's detailed description of heaven and what went on there. And just to assure you that these accounts are not the fevered imaginings of just a few religious wackos, I'll mention one more popular volume. It's called, To Heaven and Back, A Doctor's Extraordinary Account of Her Death. And of angels and and life again. Mary Neal wrote that. She's an orthopedic surgeon and uh, specializes in the human spine. And in 1999, she drowned in a kayaking accident in Chile. And she do. She, too, had a near-death experience. It was as though I was experiencing an explosion of love and joy in their absolute, unadulterated essence. That's what she wrote in her book. Now, I'm not in any position to say if these people have or have not gone to heaven. I don't know. They may have just made this stuff up. Or they may be mistaken. Or maybe they did spend some time in the next dimension. I don't know. And none of us can really know. All we can do is take what they write, what they say, and compare it to Scripture. Because the Bible is a trustworthy guide to everything we need to know about heaven. You don't need to read any books, listen to any stories. The Bible is all we need to know, even about as a guide to our lives here on earth. We may certainly discuss, it's okay to discuss and interact about what these people say about their heavenly experiences, but our answers, listen, our answers about heaven will be found in the pages of the Bible. And trust me, when you see what God's Word says about this incredible topic, I think you'll agree that we are in for an exhilarating journey. Both now and in eternity. But rather than simply getting us to think about what lies beyond the afterlife, I'm hoping... You'll begin to think about how heaven makes a difference for our life on earth. I mean, how heaven makes a difference in our right now and our right here. For you see, God's not only interested in the by and by, He's also interested in the here and now. So let's begin this morning by looking at Matthew 6 where Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, if you're like me, you've heard this prayer literally hundreds of times, maybe even thousands. But I want you to notice something you may have not noticed. In verse 10, where we are to pray for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, have you ever stopped to consider what it means for God's will to be done in heaven and how we are to emulate and work for God's will right here on the earth. See, my job is not to get my will in heaven. It's to get God's will on earth. One thing is for sure, people in heaven are already doing God's will. And we're called to do the same thing. What is happening perfectly there ought to affect us here. See, God's telling us that we need to pursue heavenly priorities in order to do the most earthly good. In other words, an earthly focus can only take us so far. We need to see eternal things. So the old song says, with eternity's values in view, Lord, with eternity's values in view, I will work each day for Jesus, with eternity's values in view. That's, we have to have something about that. When we get eternity's values in view, not only will we have peace, everybody want peace? Yeah, uh, not only will we have comfort, Everybody wants comfort? We're also going to be empowered to change the world. Now. No, no, I mean today. So we need to train ourselves to be heavenly-minded and focus on eternity. And this begins with our recognizing that the meaning of our lives on earth, the meaning of our lives on earth is found in heaven. One day, this old guy was speaking to a student about his plans. And so he asked the younger man, he said, Tell me, son, what are your plans after you graduate from law school? And the young man said, Well, I'd like to get a job with a good firm, start making some money. The older guy said, All right, that sounds good. Then what? Well, Then I'd like to get married. Great, the older man said. Then what? Well, I'd like to start a family, have some children, put my kids in good schools. I'd like to have enough money to eventually get a second home. Well, that sounds great. Then what? Well, after I've worked for a while, maybe I could come to a point where I would retire. And then if my health was good, my wife and I could travel all around the world. That sounds wonderful. Then what? Well, maybe we could have grandchildren. You know, I've heard that grandchildren are more fun than children. The older man said, well, that's true. But then what? well, I guess I'd pass my money on to my children and hoping they would have just as comfortable a life as I had. Yes, the older man said, then what? Young man said, well, then I, I guess I'll die. And the older man said, yeah. Then what? Yeah, then what? Well, I'll tell you what, then is eternity. Far too often, see, we think of this life as being everything. We seldom give thought to the next life. Not, oh, well, that is unless we get bad news from the doctor or maybe a loved one dies. But the reality is what we call life, listen, what we call life is actually the before life. And then comes the afterlife. After life. See, I guess what we're experiencing now is kind of like a, I don't know, a warm-up act. And there's more to come. Oh, there's lots more to come. We're going to live here this long, and then we're going to be in eternity all the way to the wall. <laughs> oh, past the wall. Okay. But even though this life is really, really short compared with eternity, it's still of utmost importance because it sets the stage for all that's coming. This is another reason why we should pray for the Father's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. If we live as citizens of hell during our 70 or 80 or 90 years under the sun... We can't expect to be welcomed into heaven as citizens when we die. What we do down here matters, friends. It matters. In fact, what we do on earth sets the course for eternity, whether it's good or whether it's bad. The choices of time, which we're living in time, the choices of time are binding for eternity. You can't get out of them. Eternity matters, but so does our life right now. So here's the million-dollar question. Why do we exist? Why are we here on this earth? Why did God create us in the first place? Man, it's funny (laughs) where some people will look for the answer to that. If you have an iPhone, you probably know that it has a personal voice assistant called Siri that will answer any question you have. Just push the button and say, Siri, where can I get a good cup of coffee? And Siri will use a navigational device to figure out where you are before presenting you with a bunch of establishments near you that sell coffee. So one day, I pulled out my iPhone and asked, Siri, what is the meaning of life? Really, I did. And the answer was, I can't answer that right now, but give me a long time to write a play in which nothing happens. <laughs> really? That's really what she said. So, so I pressed the button again and asked, and she said, I really don't know, but I think there's an app for that. <laughs> I pressed it again, All evidence to date points to chocolate. Listen, somebody really clever is writing this material. I pushed it again, and she said, I'm surprised you would ask that question of an inanimate object. (laughs) Exactly. What are you doing? But serious answers, they're no worse than a whole lot of other sources. I mean, in one poll of Americans, 61% said that the main purpose of life is employment and personal fulfillment. Now, you might expect that from non-believers, but 50% of those who claim to be born-again Christians said that life's purpose is enjoyment and self-satisfaction. So is that true? Do we... Do we really exist merely for the personal enjoyment and self-satisfaction? And to find the answer to that, we, we have to go to Scripture. In effect, we must go to heaven <laughs> to find out why we're here on the earth. And that's exactly where an amazing, just an amazing scene unfolds in the first verse of Revelation 4 where it says after this i looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven and the voice i had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said come up here and i will show you what must take place after this see john the, the apostle he'd been banished to the island of patmos on, on account of the word of god and on account of the testimony of Jesus that he had. In the first part of Revelation, John receives an overview, if you have read this, you know that, of the seven churches of Asia, starting with Ephesus, ending with Laodicea. Now, however, he is hurtled into the next dimension, and he sees things that are yet to come. John, is, when he tells about this, he's trying to use the language of his day, to describe what's before his eyes. And so he says, "'At once I was in the Spirit, "'and there before me was a throne in heaven "'with someone sitting on it. "'And the one who sat there "'had the appearance of Jasper and Cornelian. "'A rainbow resembling an emerald "'encircled the throne. "'And surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, "'and seated on them were 24 elders.' They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. Now, we don't know who the elders are. Some think they may be the 12 patriarchs from the Old Testament and the 12 apostles from the New Testament. Others think they may just be believers who have been given this exalted position due to their faithful service. The point is, whoever they are, They're people. They're people. That's the big issue. They're people. And then the scene changes very quickly, and John sees ominous storm warnings from the throne of God. Trouble is coming to planet Earth. And next John sees some angelic creatures. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then the heavenly worship service begins to grow. Whenever the living creatures... Wow, these 24 elders, they cast their crowns down before God's throne. He is worthy, they say, of their creator because he is the creator. God is worthy. Listen, friends, God is worthy of our worship because he created us. It's as simple as that. And yet maybe not so simple Because the elders add this other reason, by your will they were created and have their being. I like the way the King James Version puts verse 11. It says, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things. And for thy pleasure they are and were created. Did you catch that? According to these elders, we exist to bring glory and pleasure to God. That is the meaning of life. People searching all over for that, and there it is. It's something your iPhone will never tell you. We exist to bring God glory and pleasure. And if that's true, we then must face another very simple fact, which is we do not exist to bring ourselves glory and pleasure. So no matter what 61% of Americans or even 50% of born-again Christians might say, the main purpose of life cannot be seeking our own enjoyment and personal fulfillment. In fact, if I live for pleasure, I can tell you what's going to happen. I will never find it. I want to repeat that. If you live for pleasure... You will never find it. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 5 verse 6 that she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. The truth is that being self-indulgent, that living for pleasure is one of the least pleasurable things a person can do. Anybody know who Freddie Mercury is? or was, lead singer of the rock band Queen. Did you know the rock band Queen has sold between 150 and 300 million records? Members of this group, needless to say, were loaded with cash and fame. They had it all. And Mercury, Freddie Mercury, had the opportunity, as very few ever had, to devote his life to the pursuit of pleasure. In an interview, he said, Excess is a part of my nature. (laughs) To me, dullness is disease. I need danger. I need excitement. Straight people bore me stiff. I love freaky people. And Freddie Mercury, man, he didn't deny himself anything materially or sexually. But it didn't turn out real well. I mean, it never does. He realized that in his attempt to be a star, he had effectively created a monster. In in fact, he later said, and I quote, the monster is me. Success, family, money, sex, drugs, whatever you want, I can have it, but now I'm beginning to see that as much as I created it, I want to escape from it. I'm starting to worry that I can't control it as much as it controls me. See, Mercury, he lost his fight with the monster, and he died from complications due to AIDS at the age of 45. The pursuit of pleasure, apart from God, indeed is a monster. See, when God saw trouble developing in the heart of Cain, the Lord issued him a warning. Remember Cain and Abel? Here's my paraphrase. of what's actually what it says in Genesis 4, 7. Not my paraphrase at all. It's exactly what it says here. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. God's saying that sin is like a crouching beast ready to pounce on you, ready to control you, and if you live for pleasure, that beast is going to take over. Freddie Mercury sought out every pleasure imaginable and discovered that a focus on earth and a focus on self will never satisfy. We folk, listen, we were made, we were made all of us were made for God and heaven, not simply for life on earth. And yet there's something something paradoxical about all this. Even though we cannot gain lasting pleasure by pursuing it, by living for God, we will experience Real pleasure, not by seeking it, but by seeking Him. The Bible says that in His presence there is fullness of joy, listen, and at His right hand are pleasures forevermore. So here's my question Are you living? for God's glory, or are you living for your own pleasure? You should be able to write over anything you are pursuing, hallowed be thy name. Can you write that over your marriage right now? Can you write that over your career and your business ethics? Can you write it over what you fill your leisure time with? Hallowed be thy name. In other words, are you living for the glory of God? Listen, please hear me today. Life is preparation for eternity. Life is the warm-up act. We were made by God, and we were made for God. And God wants us to practice on the earth what we're going to do forever in eternity. And what is that? Well, it's the worship and the glorification of God. That's why I'm here. That's why you're here for his pleasure. And we discover, as we do his will, we're going to discover that we are having our own deepest needs being met. People say, I don't don't believe it. Well, you, you have to try it. You have to do it, and you'll find out. If you live for pleasure, you'll never find pleasure. Just look what happened to Freddie Mercury. What a waste, what a waste of a life created in God's image. And he's just one sad example. There are so many people, you know them, I know them, who chase after the wind and they throw their lives away seeking answers from their iPhones rather than from God's word. It's incredible, isn't it? People think they can find answers on the internet to life. But if you put God and your heavenly priorities first, I can assure you that you will find, if you'll do this, this is a promise, put God first and his priorities first, you're going to find the reason God created you. Because the key to a full and joyful life on earth is a heavenly focus on the glory of God. We must must remember, all of you Jesus followers, you must remember that we're members of his kingdom and we are to do his will on earth just as his will is done in heaven. Will you pray with me? Pray this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 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 Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.